0: First Samuel chapter 30, we're, we're, we're on a series called Preparing for Promotion. You know, it's, it's so un, unusual that this, this series is, is talking about the battles that David went through to go from the shepherd's fields to the king. And, you know, in, in the history of ministry, number one, we have the greatest leadership team we've ever, ever had that I've ever been surrounded by, the greatest friends by far. But we're also all going through some major attacks. I mean, there's been some major attacks uh, health-wise, relationally-wise, friend-wise, relatives, people's relatives getting sick. Uh, financial, I'm mean, just all kind of attacks. We want to make sure we keep our leaders in prayer, but also focus on what it is God's showing us through this series. Um, I don't really pick the series so much as I believe God does. I don't hear Him audibly, but deep in my spirit, I believe He tells me, you know what to preach on and stuff like that. So I think there's a, a reason for this series. It's called Preparing for Promotion, and we were in Psalms. Our, our memory verse was Psalm seventy-five, seven. Let's see if y'all remember it, even though we're not on it anymore. Um, ready, go. Promotion does not come from the north. But God puts... And we have a new memory verse uh, now starting the new year, and it, it means the same thing. David wrote that one. His son wrote this one. And it's in Proverbs 21, verse 1. It says, "...the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord." He turns it wherever he desires. So many times we we think, well, God, if if my boss would just look my way, if they would just pay attention to how hard I work and how I get there on time, then I would be promoted. And this scripture says if God wants your boss to look in your direction, he'll cause him to look in your direction. If uh, if you're, you can be in the prison, a prison cell somewhere, and if the president of the United States is supposed to find you and pull you out and pardon you, he will do so. Because Joseph was in the prisons of Egypt and Pharaoh found him down there in the dungeon and brought him to promotion. Why? Because it was his time. And um, David was anointed to be king when he was 12 or 13. It's, It's not exactly clear, around 12 or 13. He didn't take the throne until he was 30. So there were 15, 16, 17 years of having to go through a bunch of tough stuff. So don't think that you got it so bad. David had it a lot worse than you. And there was no hot water or crispy cream in David's time. So those two things right there mean you're way more blessed than David. Krispy Kreme and hot water. Put them together, hot crispy creams. Like there's just great, so, so you're very, very blessed where you're at in your time. Here we go. 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going from the chapter to chapter of the life of David. And let me tell you what's going on here before we start reading it. David has been put in charge of a city called Ziglag. Everybody say Ziglag. And um, he's not yet king. And right now, Israel is kind of divided. At this time, the nation of Israel is divided into Israel and Judah. They both love God. They're both doing their best, but they're just divided. And part of Judah, one of the cities in Judah, is Ziklag. David's been put in charge of that. There's a few thousand people in the city, and David took all the men one day and went and fought in a battle against the Philistines, and they won. So they're, le- they're coming home after a three-day battle. They're victorious. They're excited. They're high-fiving each other. They're fist-bumping. They're chest-bumping. You know, they're, they're making absurd noises with their body and laughing about it. Like, these are the guys. They're all doing their guy thing. It's like Monday night football. Our team won. The Steelers made the playoffs or whatever the thing is, all that kind of stuff. Okay, so that's what's going on here. They're all excited. First Samuel 30, after three days, David and his men arrived home at Ziglag and found that the Amalekites had raided the city, burned it to the ground, and taken all the women and children. Okay, right there in the first part of this chapter, we just now witnessed the worst day of David's entire life. Far worse than battling King Saul, far worse than Goliath, far worse than his family rejecting him. This was the worst day of his life. And one day, he comes home. Everything's been stolen. His women, the the wives, and all the children have been kidnapped. And the city's burned down to the ground. And David's in charge. And it goes on to say in verse 4, Then David and his men started crying until they had no more power to weep or to cry. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you've cried until you literally have no more tears left and you're dry heaving and you're angry and you want to just feel like you want to kill somebody and how you're going to get through the next day and all you want to do is just put yourself to sleep so you can sleep it off and be done? It's the worst day of David's life. If you have not been in a place like that in your life, unfortunately, I'm not trying to prophesy anything bad over you, but at at some point in your life, you will come to that. Every one of us do. At some point in our walk with God, this is a test we're going to have to go through. What happens whenever the bottom completely drops out and there's nothing left for us to hold on to except for God? It goes on to say, David was greatly distressed. Well, duh. And then it goes on to say, for his own men spoke of stoning him. These were his best friends. He just fought in a battle with them. Now they want to stone him. I can tell you from experience, there's only been a few times in my relationship with Mark where I actually felt like stoning him. And he responded, let's get stoned. And I didn't know what that meant, but I I just, anyway, and so felt like stoning him. And he can't say anything back to me right now. So it was a great day at Solid Rock. Okay, now this next sentence shows you something that we're going to talk about today. It was a power that very few human beings know how to grasp onto from their spirit is something that very rarely you see in someone's life. And this very thing that David did next changed and altered the course of his destiny forever because at this point, David could have faded off into the sunset. At this point, this could have been the last we hear of this great hero, David. He defeated a giant. People sang songs about him. Life was good. But then he faced the worst battle he's ever had, the worst day of his life. The women weren't, his wife was not there to help him and encourage him. His friends had turned their back on him. He had no possessions, no money, nothing left. And in verse 6, it changes everything. If you've got your Bibles, you want to underline verse 6. It says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God, somehow, someway he found the strength to rise up out of the worst time of his life and he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Listen real close. Um, there's nothing wrong with seeking encouragement from other people. There's nothing wrong with expecting your friends to encourage you or your parents or that kind of thing. But it is not the responsibility of anybody else to keep you encouraged. Yes, our friends should encourage us. It'd be nice if your pastor answered his phone whenever you called. It'd be great if your, you know, your, um, your facilitator of your short group would pray for you. If you send him a text, that's great. But there's going to be a time in your life where nobody's going to be available to you and you're going to have to learn how to encourage yourself and the Lord your God. Now, one thing I've seen over the years that I think is kind of sad is that a lot of times I see parents whose kids are older and they, they put this weight on their children's shoulders to always be there for them and encourage them. I've, I've seen where daughters wanted to go off to college, but they think, I can't because you know if mom gets discouraged, I've got to be close by. Or a son that, that, that wants to um, you know, venture off and start a business or, or take his family on vacation, oh, I gotta make sure I answer my phone because dad could be upset and I gotta always be there for him. It's not the responsibility of your children or your spouse or your best friends to make sure you maintain a healthy level of encouragement is something we all have to learn to do on our own. Whether everything's going right in your life or whether everything is going wrong in your life, you cannot put that weight on other people's shoulders to make sure you stay encouraged. The very next thing that happened in David's life is a miracle. After he encouraged himself, he inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue the enemy and overtake them? God said, yeah, man, pursue the enemy, overtake them, and here's the big word, ready? Recover all in verse 16 when David and his men found the Amalekites behold they were spread abroad all over the land eating and drinking and dancing because all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and the land of Judah this is a very important point right here David found the enemy the Amalekites not only had they raided all of Judah's cities but they stole all the stuff from all the bad guys too like the Philistines and all of David's enemies so there was a lot of spoil there He goes on to say, And David struck them down from twilight until the end of the next day. Not a single man escaped except for a few sissies that mounted some camels and fled. Verse 18, David recovered all the Amalekites had taken. He rescued his family. Nothing was missing, small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David recovered all all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people said, this is David's spoil. Verse 26, when David came home to Ziglag, he sent part of the spoil to his friends, the elders of Judah, saying, here's a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. It was for those in Bethel, those in Ramoth, those in hard word, and another hard word, and a long hard word, and an extremely long hard word, in Rakel, in the cities of very, very long Hardwords, in the cities of Kenites, and Hormah, and bore hard word, and another hard word that starts with an A, and another one that starts with an H, and all the places where David and his men had roamed. I didn't feel like wasting my time this week learning those names, so that's what you get. Anyway, so David encouraged himself, took everything back, and more had enough to bless his own city, all the cities around him, and everybody whose place where he had dwelt under his life. It all changed when David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Preparing for Promotion, Part 7. I want to talk to you about be a self encourager. Be a self encourager. Be a self encourager. Um, throughout our, our battle, our life, we're gonna get weariness. Um, weariness comes whenever we've, um, gone through something like battle fatigue, where we're, we're fighting in the same fight year after year, maybe. And it seems like nothing's changing. Uh, we know the story of David. We know that he's this close to being King, but he doesn't know that at this point. He thinks at this point he thinks it could be like this 20 more years. I don't know if I can take another day, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. At this point, he had lost everything. Every single person. His friends were going to stone him, but he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Um, He had no money left. He felt like he had no influence, no power, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Very important thing he did, and so here's what I want to kind of focus on today. Our life follows our thoughts. Uh, We cannot allow our mind to run on autopilot. If your mind runs on autopilot, it'll always go to the worst case scenarios. If you get offended and you allow that thought to take root, and that seed becomes a garden in your mind, it will produce hatred and anger and bitterness, resentment. You'll stop coming to church, or you'll want to get another job, or you'll think about how much you don't like that person. If you allow that one little seed of of greed to get on the inside and and plant a a garden on the inside, you'll stop doing things for others, you'll stop being a giver, and you'll always focus on money. If you allow that thought of anger or, or, or fear... Um, discouragement, worry, doubt, whatever it is, when our mind runs an autopilot, it always goes to the worst, biggest lie that the enemy could possibly throw at you. And we, we, we grab it, hook, line, and sinker. That's why we have to take inventory of what it is we're thinking about on a regular basis. We have to think about what we're thinking about. Um, And the most important thing is we got to put the right things in our mind. That's what's so great about short groups. And that's what's great about worshiping God. And and I'm going to do another series. I'm going to do a series on prayer um, in the next month or two. And that's one of the things about prayer. It gets the right things in your mind so it builds up your faith. Lamentations 3.19 is kind of a common sense scripture, but it says this, thinking of my troubles makes me depressed. Well, duh. I mean, you would think that we all knew that, but evidently we don't all know that. Then I remember something that fills me with hope. The Lord's kindness never fails. Here's what the scripture is implying. It's implying that it's easy to think about our troubles. It's very easy. We don't know one has to help us or force us or explain to us how to do it. We automatically know how to think about our troubles, but that produces something we don't want to feel because your feelings follow your thoughts. Your thoughts follow whatever you regularly put inside of your mind. So then it says something else. I remember something that fills me with hope. The Lord's kindness never fails. That implies that it's easy to forget all the kindness that God has shown us over the years. We have to on purpose remember the right thing. So the question is, how did David do it? How did David go from the worst point of his entire life to encouraging himself, overtaking the enemy, and recovering all? Here's how he did it. Um, back in the Bible days, they were a nomadic people. They were nomads. They traveled from one place to the next. They didn't stay in one location for a very, very long time. And so most of the guys, they would carry a staff with them, a big old staff. It wasn't just a walking stick. It wasn't just to herd off, you know, bad animals. It was their history with God. They would carve on their staff all the great things God did for them over their years. It was like a walking file cabinet. On this date, they would come in there when God gave them their first child, their second child, third child. On this date, God brought them water from a rock. On this date, God helped them defeat, you know, um, a giant. On this date, God gave them a miracle in their life. And they were constantly being reminded of all the kind things that God had done for them in the past. The Bible says that whenever David went and faced Goliath, he didn't just bring his slingshot with him. In 1 Samuel 17, 40, it says that he had a staff in his hand and ran straight toward Goliath. Why did he do that? I believe David realized, I'm about to face a big giant, a big storm, something nasty's in my future. So before I step out, in faith before i face this enemy before i get up in the morning and go to work before i have to talk to this cranky person before i have to deal with this teenager that's not doing right here's what i want to do first I want to read over the last few things God's done for me in my life. David read, you know what? That time God helped me defeat a lion with my own hands. That time he helped me defeat the bear that was trying to get my sheep. Oh, there's the time where the prophet Samuel anointed me to be the next king. And David read over that one last time, threw it on the ground, pulled out the slingshot, and defeated his giant. And I guarantee you, once Goliath fell, the next thing David did was he pulled out that staff and he wrote on there, this is the day God helped me defeat Goliath. Um, whenever the children of Israel were facing the Red Sea on one end and Pharaoh on the other end, they were full of fear, full of anxiety. How are they going to get through this? And it says in Exodus 14:16, the Lord told Moses, "Hold your staff up high." I can imagine they were so scared. God, I can't believe this is happening to us. You let us go, and now we're stuck here. We're going to die. Our life's going to end. And all of a sudden, they see that staff, and they thought, Remember the time God sent plagues on our enemies? Remember the time where God um, healed us from that disease? Remember the time where God gave us gold from the Egyptians whenever we left them? Man, if God did it this time and this time and this time and this time, surely he's going to make a way when we're facing the Red Sea. In our mind, it's like a a television set. Um, We have more channels than you could ever even get on digital cable. I mean, we got that defeat channel, that problem channel, that worry channel, that lust channel, that fear channel. But we also have the miracle channel. We also have the provision channel when God opened up that door for you that you know it had to be God that did that. We have that answered prayer channel where you prayed and prayed and you asked your friends to pray and all of a sudden God came through. We have these different channels that are going on in our mind. Here's our problem. We watch the channels that we should turn off and we turn off the channels that we should be watching. We should be watching the time that our children were born. We should be watching the time where God saved us and delivered us. We should be watching for that time where God spoke to us so clearly about something that we needed wisdom on. We should be watching that channel where we got that job that we didn't know we were going to get. We should be watching that channel where all the good things that happen to you in your life, you got to give God credit. It's not happenstance. It's not just because. It's not just the way things are. It's not any kind of karma stuff or Buddhist stuff. It's God Almighty being good to you and we forget all the things that he's done we forget about it we so quickly go to the next problem when there's probably a hundred things God's done for you just in the past year that you forgot all about In Mark 6, the disciples are with Jesus, and it's that huge miracle of the five loaves and two fish. Y'all know that, right? Everybody knows the story. I don't need to tell it, hopefully. Um, But basically, there's a kid with a a McDonald's happy meal. He's got French fries and chicken nuggets, and there's thousands of people that are hungry. So Jesus takes that food out that happy meal, and he passes it through the hands of the disciples. And by the end of it, that one happy meal fed 10, maybe 15,000 people, 5,000 men plus women and children. Great miracle. Huge miracle, one of the biggest ones ever recorded in the Bible. That very night, that very night, the disciples are with Jesus in a boat. It's dark. The weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the fear, if not for the if not for the courage of our fearless Lord, that little boat would have been lost. <laughs> okay, so here's what happened. It's not Gilligan's Island, but here's what did happen. And so the boats being tossed and the storms come and the disciples were so afraid they started crying like a bunch of sissies. Oh Jesus, we can't we we're gonna make this and it's so bad. God please I can't believe we're gonna die. We're gonna I'm mean, think about you're with Jesus and you're looking at him saying, why are we gonna die? I don't want to this is awful. I'm so afraid and you're with the Son of God. Why would they be so upset? Why would they be so afraid? They just saw one of the greatest miracles ever recorded in history. There's one little verse in that story that tells us why they were so anxious and upset. In Mark 6:52, for they failed to consider the miracle of the loaves. They were so stressed out. They were so afraid. They were so upset. And earlier that day, Jesus did an amazing event in their life, and here was the problem, they forgot what God had done. They forgot what God had done. (laughs) They forgot about the miracle. Um, I told you the story before about how my my papa, back in 1979, he had cancer. And the doctors told him he had a few days left to live. He had already slipped into a coma. And the cancer had filled his body. They said that was it. There was was nothing they could do. But my nana, she wouldn't settle for that. She didn't think it was his time to go. So she called all her TBN Prayer partner friends, Um, you you know back then in the 80s before there was internet, you called prayer hotline. She called the Jesse Duplantis and the Jerry Savelle and the Jimmy Swagger and and Creflo Dollar and and I mean every everyone you could think of. She wanted prayer for her husband. She sat by his bed on her knees and prayed from morning till night and the same thing the next day and the next day and all of a sudden he comes out of his coma. The doctors are shocked and he's completely free and clear of cancer. No cancer left. He lived another 30 years. 30 years he died a few years ago and my nana she's my last grandparent still alive if you talk to her even for more than five minutes at some point in that five minute conversation she will tell you Back in 1979, God healed my husband. They told me he was dead and gone. Even some relatives and friends said, don't, you don't need to pray anymore. He's not going to make it. you got to listen to what the doctors say. She'll tell you, I prayed and God came through and it was a great miracle. He lived 30 more years. She tells the story as if it happened yesterday, but in reality, it was 38 years ago. I wonder how our life would change if we would tell our stories of what God did for us so passionately with such great emotion and faith as if it happened yesterday when in reality it could have happened 40 years ago in your life. It says in Psalm 34, verse 3, Let all who are discouraged take heart. Come, let us talk about God's goodness. You know, I learned something uh, a while back about Facebook. At first, my Facebook account was ran by the church, but I took it over a little over a year ago on my own and um, I learned that every year you have a thing that pops up, if you're on Facebook, that tells you exactly what you posted one year before. I mean, the, I mean, it shows you your exact post. You can repost it if you want to, that kind of thing. Man, after I learned that, I decided that I'm going to put all kind of miracles and praise God and blessings on Facebook. Here's why. It's easy to forget. It is so easy to forget what God did for you yesterday, it's easy to forget the miracle of the loaves that he did in your life earlier this morning because now you're offended or now you're angry or now you're sick or now you're discouraged. It's easy to forget. So I want to make sure I have something that tells me on a regular basis. Here's what God did for you in January 2017. Here's what he did for you January 2016. On and on, I want to be reminded of all the good things God's done in my life. At home, I have what you might call a staff. It's, it's my thankful folder on my laptop. Man, if I get a free haircut, I write it down. If I get, someone gives me money, I write it down. If God brings a good friend into my life, I write it down. On and on I have this folder because I get discouraged. Because I feel weary sometimes. Because sometimes I feel like the bottoms drop down. And who's going to be there for me and who knows what I'm going through and I could explain it and you still wouldn't understand it. You still wouldn't feel the pain that I feel. So I have to make sure I have a staff I can go back to to say, hey, here's what God did for me last month. Here's what God did for me last summer. And I'm reminded of all the good things God's done in my life. You know, in, um, in, the, in the New Testament, there was a A guy named Saul. Not the same Saul that's chasing David. It's a totally different guy. Same name. He was still a bad guy. Okay, still a very bad guy. Saul's passion in life was to hurt Christians. His passion was to destroy families that loved Jesus, put people in jail. He would um, have them stoned to death. He had Stephen stoned to death for being a disciple of Jesus. He hated Christians. Something so interesting happened, though. It says in Acts 9-3, as Saul traveled to Damascus with letters of authority to arrest the followers of Jesus, suddenly a light from heaven (laughs) flashed around him. You know the story. Knocked him off his horse. He got saved, gave his life to Jesus, was blind for three days. He ended up becoming the apostle. Paul wrote half the New Testament. Huge miracle. When I read this, here's what I thought. There were some families in Damascus The enemy was on their way to destroy them. It was inevitable. He'd done it before. He was going to do it again. Their life was about to be turned upside down. They were about to be thrown in jail, maybe killed. Kids were not going to have parents. Spouses being split up. All these bad things was about to happen. But Jesus Christ took care of it just like that with the flash of a light. And they had no idea it even happened. Here they were at home leaving. They had no idea there was someone coming to destroy them. No idea. And Jesus took care of it. Here's what that means. There's things that we do know about God's done in our life. There's things we have no idea of, of what God's done in our life. Do you know how many times somebody was supposed to hit you in a car? The enemy was going to try to destroy your life, but God made sure that red light that you were at lasted just a little bit longer than normally does so they would miss you. Do you know how many times you were probably supposed to get fired, but God made sure your boss turned in a different direction? Do you know how many times somebody was going to get offended at you and talk about you behind your back, but God got them focused on something else? Do you know how many times cancer was supposed to take over your body and destroy you, but by the grace of God, you're still here? How many times are the things we don't even know that Jesus did and we fail to remember the miracle of the loaves? How much more should we remember the things that we do know he did in our life. Some of you should just thank God that you're even here today. Thank God that you're even alive. Thank God that you had the power to come to church. Thank God that you, you have hot water at your house, that you have a car to drive, and things that God's done for you that there are people that He has not yet done that for, and He's done it for you. There's a scripture in the Old Testament. This after David becomes king, and there's this evil, evil enemy after him. Actually, when you study demonology, this scripture is always pointed out on how demons love to attack. It says in 2 Samuel 17, 2, I will attack him while he is tired, everybody say tired, Tired. and discouraged, say that, and discouraged, (laughs) he'll panic and all his men will run away and then I will kill David. Okay, so this scripture tells us that being tired is a spiritual synonym for being discouraged. Tired and discouraged go hand in hand. Some of you here today, you're not discouraged because of a spiritual thing. You're not discouraged because of a mental thing. You're discouraged because you're running yourself dry. You're doing everything for everybody else. You're not taking time to minister to your own body, your own self. You need more rest. You need to laugh more. You need to have fun more. And you're discouraged because you're simply not getting enough sleep at night. You're discouraged because you're letting work destroy you when you're at home with your family. So I'm going to teach you a word that will help you stay encouraged. If you learn how to use this word properly, it will always minister to you and help you in the future. That word is simple. That word is no. Simple word. Two letters. Um, You've got to learn how to guard your heart you got to guard the boundaries of your heart. Some people you shouldn't be around because you get discouraged when you're around them. Some people you shouldn't be talking to. Some things you shouldn't go off and do. Some things you shouldn't spend money on. So let me kind of help you out. Um, let's say your kids want you to take them to the mall, but you're tired. What do you say? No. Isn't that, doesn't that sound, sound kind of refreshing that you can say no? Let's say you got a friend that wants to borrow money, and you just don't really feel good about it, so you can say, there you, Some of you aren't good at it yet. You still have to work on it. If your pastor asks you to head something up and you're already heading up 12 different things, you're serving every single week, and you just can't do it with full integrity and 100%, you have to say, Ver-. see, y'all said that one better, which is kind of offensive. But anyway, that's fine. <laughs> you got to learn to say no. Now listen, when you say no, it's not being mean. It's not saying I don't love you or like you. It's not saying I don't respect you. It's saying I have to minister to myself. I can, I, I'm catching myself getting a little bit tired. And discouraged. I need some time alone. I need some time to laugh a little bit. I need to have some fun. Now, if you don't say no, listen real close. It's nobody else's fault but yours. You cannot get upset at your children asking you for money if you're the one that says yes. You cannot get upset at your friend always asking to come over and call them and answer the phone. If you don't learn to say no, it's not their fault. It's nobody else's fault if you can't say no. No is like a boundary. We got A boundary is like a fence. You know, you put up a fence in your yard. You're not saying, I hate these neighbors here and I hate these neighbors here. You're saying, this is my boundary line. I don't want my dog getting in your yard. I don't want your dog getting in my yard. I have a gate. I'll let you in when I want you to come in. That's just like saying no. You've got to be able to say no in life. One last story and then I'll let you go. And that's this. The story actually that I want to tell you, it ends up in 1 Kings 19 for your notes. That's where we end up, is 1 Kings 19. But to understand 1 Kings 19, I need to tell you some stuff that happened a few chapters before, okay? It's with the prophet Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. Okay. Do y'all remember who's, who, is, um, who's, who he mentored? He mentored who? Elisha. Very good. So we're talking about Elijah, okay? Ready? Look at this, what's going on. In 1 Kings 17, verse 6. It's not a football scripture. It says the ravens brought Elijah food for three years. Okay, There was a drought for three years. God provided food from birds twice a day, meat and bread, in the middle of a famine from the ravens. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. A great miracle. 1 Kings seventeen sixteen. Elijah causes the oil and flour from that widow woman to never run out. A miracle. Everybody say hallelujah. That was a great miracle. You got to say it like a Pentecostal. First Kings seventeen twenty-two. Elijah raises a boy from the dead. Hallelujah. There you now, y'all are getting into it, you Catholics. 1 First Kings eighteen forty. Elijah calls down fire from heaven and defeats four hundred and fifty prophets of Baal. Hallelujah. First Kings eighteen forty-five. Elijah prophesies rain after a three-year drought. 1 Kings 18.46, Elijah outruns a horse and a chariot for 20 miles. Those were some great miracles. But there was a witch by the name of Jezebel who was in charge of those 450 prophets. She didn't like that Elijah killed him, so she sent him a letter in 1 Kings 19.2 that says, by this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as those prophets. In verse 3, this powerful, great man of God says that Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He traveled a day's journey to the wilderness. He sat under a juniper tree and asked God to take his life. What a sissy do we got going on here. Today's sissy day at Solid Rock. Can you believe? Now, if Mark could have talked, he would have said something right there, but he didn't say nothing, so this is another great day. Can you believe this man... Go back to all the miracles. Can you believe all these things he just saw God do in his life? Just saw God do it. Somebody sends him a nasty letter. And go back to 1 Kings 19.3. And he was afraid. And ran for his life. And asked God to take my life. I can't handle it anymore. I read this and I thought, God, what a great ending to my sermon. Boy, this proves the point, doesn't it? that all the things God does in your life is easy to forget. And then we go to work Monday morning after we just had a great day at Solid Rock on Sunday and God ministered to us and we hung out with friends and family. Life couldn't be better. We're able to pay our bills. We're tithing. We're worshiping. And Monday morning we see that nasty co-worker that we can't stand and we want God to take our life by lunchtime. But God told me to keep reading. So I said, okay. Okay. So in verse 5, it says, Elijah slept under that tree. And then an angel appeared and said, get up and eat. Elijah gets up and there's a a cake baking on hot coals with a pitcher of water. He eats it and drinks it and the angel says, okay, you can go back to sleep. Then in verse 7, the angel of the Lord came a second time and said, get up and eat. He gets up, there's more cake baked. More water in the pitcher, he eats it and drinks it and goes back to sleep. All through the Bible, every time an angel appeared, it was to do something supernatural, like close the mouth of lions, break open prison doors, kill 185,000 Syrian troops with one slash of a sword. But in this case, the angel said, You're tired. And you're hungry. And you need to take care of yourself. In verse 8, with the strength of that food and rest, Elijah traveled to his next assignment. He didn't need a miracle. He didn't need... You know, there was no Prozac for him back then. He was all tired and discouraged. What's he going to do? The angel appeared to him. This mighty warring angel. Shield, sword, armor, and said... You need to eat a sandwich. You need to spend a little bit more time in bed today. You need to turn your cell phone off. You need to stop hanging around with that person. You need to stop volunteering for everything under the sun. You need to take a day off.
1: And Elijah went
0: on to his next assignment. My whole life, I've done funerals galore. I've played at over a hundred funerals. I've preached it a few dozen of my guests, but played it hundreds. They always use Psalms 23. And I've heard it so many times over again. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want on and on it goes. Up until this week, there was a word in that scripture that I never understood, even though I've heard it hundreds and hundreds of times. Psalms 23 verse 2, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He refreshes and restores my soul. So I was thinking about it this week. I said, God, what is up with that word makes? I don't see it a lot in the Bible, especially coming from you. It sounds kind of forceful. And I'm not a great theologian, but here's what I believe God told me. I believe he said, John Paul, if you don't follow me to the still waters, then I'm going to have to make you lie down in the green pastures. If the angel appeared to some of y'all today... You want this huge miracle, this great answer to prayer. He'd look at you and say, get more sleep. Go to bed earlier. Exercise a little bit more. Do something to get you out of the house. Have some fun. Eat some angel food cake. Do something. <laughs> Working 40 hours a week. Sleeping 7 to 10 hours a day, depending on the day. Serve a few hours each week in church is normal. Any more than that, or any less than that, is out of balance. And I believe if you will follow Him to the still waters, if you will regularly take notes of the kindness of the Lord in your life, then you will have the strength to pursue the enemy, overtake him, and recover all. Amen?